Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm rolling. We're, we're gonna get started. Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio, broadcasting live on full service radio from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm Rachel Kuntz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember, remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream from. And for all of our loyal listeners out there, don't forget to leave us a review telling the world how much you love us. And for any new listeners out there, here on the Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, what makes a great ghost story, or how to construct the perfect sonnet, or just how we all sit down each day in front of that empty page. We play clips of local writers reading their work at our monthly reading series, and we invite a few of those writers and local community members to join our discussions. On today's show, we want to talk about sex and Baby, steamy love poems. Let's talk about sex. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to. You mm-hmm. know that was going to happen. <laughs> Um, so how, you know, we want to talk about how you make sex, I don't know, not too over the top, not too, you know, sex. Like No undulating members. <laughs> <laughs> but how far is too far? There's a lot of cliches when writing steamy scenes and poems to try to convey desire and lust. Um... I've heard boobs compared to sandbags. Ew. Just the other day, just the other day, someone said uh, ripe summer tomatoes. Ooh, that I was, actually kind of like that. I mean, but then I can't look at a tomato the same way. Um, can we like keep it classy? Yeah, right. Uh, but also, desire doesn't have to be all about sex. It can also, you know, lust after a cup of coffee, like I do every morning. Is that lust or is it a chemical imbalance dependence (laughs) on caffeine, maybe? You know, you know, chicken, egg, I don't know. I mean, or you can be passionate about a hobby, like, you know, writing, for example. Are you? Are you, Courtney? Uh, Passionate about writing? Some days. (laughs) Desire can be so many things, but most of all, it's a rise to action. I get it. Like a... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Courtney actually um, cracked herself up. <laughs> Sometimes I do. Okay, all right. Let's get down to brass tacks, though. How can we make Desire original and kind of rebrand it from the, what we know as the, either, like, funny, stupid, silly, cliche, or, like, sappy, right? Two words. Surprise me. You always love the surprise. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, Courtney's like, I, I can't. I can't. Uh, but but really, I feel like the best steamy scenes are the ones that are surprising. You take something that's not usually typically sexy, desirable, <laughs> <laughs> or 
And you build tension with ordinary objects and you surprise people by using those ordinary ordinary objects to build sexual tension or a longing or desire. Do you think there are certain things, though, that can't function in that way? Like, could I... Could I start writing a poem about cauliflower? There's no thing that <laughs> what can't be turned into sex. Cauliflower. <laughs> but then does it ruin that thing for you? Or are you constantly, like I'm saying, like the tomatoes? Like you can never think about tomatoes again? Yeah. I don't know if it ruins it or if it just, you know, adds another layer. It makes everything, you know, deep. <laughs> <laughs> that was a deep thought from this Rachel show this morning. rife with double entendres. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know. We talk about this a lot, but... Um, I think also, how can we make those objects or unexpected turns and phrases or subjects um, function differently in different genres, right? Because mm-hmm. um, and we, we think typically about love and desire being represented most frequently in poetry and in poems, because that's where we see it. That's where we're used to seeing it. We were just talking about Shakespeare, you know, mm-hmm. and like, you're dirty, man. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty. In a good way, though, because he couched it in all these kind of like big words. (laughs) Yeah, big words. But also, no, it was like, I don't know. What's the, I I don't know. I'm not, I can't think of any good metaphors. Um, (laughs) But that's very different from the time and space that you have on the page to kind of build up to something over the course of a novel or even an essay when you have time to sit with someone and to use that for building desire rather than the rhythm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it has to do with word choice. It has to do with, I mean, putting something next to another thing that build like just describing one thing and then describing the other and that being next to each other is what builds the tension, you know, like talking about, I don't know, the curtain coming in and out of the window in a certain way while this, like, you know, love scene is happening. Normally a curtain is not very sexy, but in that way you can, you know, talk about sex without being knocking somebody over the head with it well yeah or even if the the love or sex scene hasn't started yet you can use those things to build it and like it's there subliminally subliminally (laughs) Um, and in the subconscious of your reader right so they're going up there they're sensing the movement of the space outside of the characters and I think that's something that we can use as a tool right right um, to lead up to that. And then it's like, oh, shit, that was happening that whole time? I didn't even know. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> it was wow. happening subconsciously in your subconscious. <laughs> um, well, let's listen to an example from one of our interloopers. Yeah. Uh, Who's this better is at it than, than I am, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen Roche, reading at an interloop event. The fish cavort with your deep riding waves like rainbows, each an arc of light, stark red from the sun's heart, each gold the tears that save their scales like sacred beetle shells, their heads blue-clotted, eyes sky-clear and unblinking, and their deep purple hearts, like ours, bleed red until their last oceanic drop, thinking this was all there was, this spectral ray, wed to body and to head, the heart pumps out. They play you, for a fool they play you, flash and succulent bright thigh, you thrash and shout, your boy-strong voice, your pout, a muscled lash down clumsy toward your middle mountain range, your hills of heart, your skin, sand dry and strange. That's it. That was Ellen Roche reading at an Interloop event. I just love the phrase, succulent bright thigh. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. And I just, uh, I was thinking while I was listening, the way you and I 
just brought the term sex into the conversation and then everything we were saying seemed to be about it to be about (laughs) sex (laughs) I feel like that's kind of you know that rung true to me in what Alan was just reading like she was using a lot of language that felt sexy even though she was like talking about the ocean or other and fish (laughs) fish fish are pretty sexy though aren't they no I feel yeah. like if there's any one thing in this universe that can't be about sex, it might be fish. <laughs> yeah, but they're so slick. Cordy's feeling like, inspired. Oh. The water. You know, it's not like it has this like very... And they wiggle? Well, I find to water to be very sensual. And so I think it's that relationship. I'm trying to be serious here, Rachel. Um, but no, something else that Ellen did there is what we were just talking about too. Like the rhythm, the rhythm of the way she can right. pace with that piece and the thrash and clash and the way that you feel the rhythm of bodies kind of in mm-hmm. the same sense that the words are placed next to each other. I just think that's always... And that's a lovely way for poetry right. to exercise that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sorry, we, have, we have another we have another reading to hear, do we not? Yeah. Go for it. Sean Felix. <laughs> Let's hear it. This first one is called A Simple Love Poem, inspired by Study for Black Like Me number two by Glenn Ligon. You are a memory someone told me I once had, constantly in a state of becoming but never being. I read like a typeface obscured by overuse. Tie me up so I won't dissolve. Our bodies speak the same language, a sometimes exquisite passion, as my blackness fills the spaces and becomes new. All traces of the man I had once been wiped from existence. I wish I could explore the landscape I became for you. That was Sean Felix reading at an Interloop event. And that poem was published in Bloodroot Literary Magazine. Indeed. I was just so struck by yeah, it. I was like, I was like, I can't pause. get my thoughts together. Um, no, it, that, that poem just had so many layers, and only one of them had to do anything to do with desire. Right. But also, it, it talked about how. Well, there were a lot of other there desires. There were a lot of de- in desires there. in there, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, but it also, you know, I feel like struck me because it talked about how an interaction can change you mm. so deeply. Mm-hmm. And. I guess that's what I was thinking about the layers of desire there. And at that point, do you also then desire what you were or what you will be like after the turn, after that change? Well, right. Which he brings back there. Just the the longing changes Mm -hmm. you. But what happens when that longing is gone? Mm -hmm. Are you changed forever? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Um, let's bring in an expert. That's right. Enough babbling for me and Courtney. (laughs) Y'all love it. Up next on the Interloop Radio, we are excited to keep talking about desire in writing with the steamiest of steamy local poets here. Stay tuned. Mid-afternoon, the hum of porn fills the room. A redhead in a diaphanous catsuit, love bite on her breast swell, fearing no bondage, no slap of the whip. Foreplay and more foreplay, and a song sung on the soundtrack. 
Amber Lemons is from Jersey, not Malibu, went to Catholic school. How do you know that? Then she comes twice, nose down like a small animal in faux grass by the kidney-shaped pool. Is she faking? Is she faking? Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. That was Lindsay Bernal reading at an Interloop event, and she joins us now live on the show to discuss love and desire in writing. Lindsay is a poet and professor at the University of Maryland, and her latest collection, What It Doesn't Have to Do With, was the winner of the 2017, is that how you say yours? Yes. 2017 (laughs) National Poetry Series competition. Congrats and welcome, Lindsay. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being on the show. Um, Contrary to what our listeners might think, that poem was not actually that much about sex. (laughs) Um, And like many of of your poems that have sex in them, they don't really seem to be about love and desire at all. And so many writers shy away from writing about sex or they overcompensate and beat us over the head with it. So how do you strike that balance? How do you make sex just another thing in our environment? Such a good question. I mean, I think I think sex is another thing in our environment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think it's like it's always there. Mm -hmm. And um, that particular poem, I mean, it is about sex, but it it, it's I guess it's not it's not the kind of sex that you would desire. The speaker, the speaker is dealing with a lot of despair. I mean, Mm -hmm. throughout the book. And I think despair and and sex are connected Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and desire and despair are connected Mm -hmm. um and that 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 opening section um was really an experiment with sound initially like Mm -hmm. i was trying and this will sound so crazy but i was trying to mimic the rhythm of one of ezra pound's cantos so like but i was like how can i make this like as as sort of um, opposite pound as possible. Mm. And, you know, I think so many of the poems in, in what it doesn't have to do with are, are about sort of finding a voice within the literary patriarchy, you know, within mm. the sort of all of the reading that I was doing as a student, as an undergrad, and as a graduate student, and trying to figure out, like, where do I fit in? Where do I fit into the to the canon mm-hmm. what is the point of my voice yeah. here or yeah and I think that's what we're all doing yeah. like writers now like where do I fit into this like this history I mean it's so interesting to think about Shakespeare um, and to go back and even further and think about think about how how women were portrayed in literature mm-hmm. in all the like literature that as English majors we were read mm-hmm. I mean I feel like we talk a lot about trigger warnings now when we're teaching contemporary works, but we should have trigger warnings for, like, for way back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's worse. It was worse. It was worse for women then. It's just couched in old English, so we don't, like, see it as viscerally. We're like, wait, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> Takes a minute. Yeah. Hmm. But there is that fine line, and we were, a, one, a review of your book says, um, your poems always ask, is it tender or horrific? So how do you, as either you're um, constructing a piece or thinking about how you're going to guide the reader through it, what is it like to walk that line and where do you kind of edge? I mean, I think I'm always playing, I'm always playing at that edge. Like, I think it can kind of be both. 
And is that itself like sexy? Uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> no, know. Really? I, yeah. Because there's kind of like a there's that tension that Rachel was talking about. I think that that particular that particular line in the poem comes from, you know, comes from uh, an ekphrastic exercise, mm-hmm. like most, like a lot of my poems. But I was looking at a photograph by Man Ray and. I was like, I was asking myself that, like, is it like, is this tender or horrific? Mm-hmm. You know, it was a nude, and I was, I was, I was, I guess, it wasn't exactly ambivalence. You know, I'm not ambivalent about about um, desire, <laughs> but I feel like I feel like I, you know, I, I'm questioning, I'm questioning um, the objectification of women in art throughout mm-hmm. the book. Mm-hmm. And I, lo- I like this idea you've presented of, of desire and despair being t- maybe two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So can you really talk about desire without talking about the despair? Exactly. I mean, I feel like because then the lover leaves, you know, or like right. the act ends. I mean, there's a whole history of, of the Abad, which is taken from Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. You know, the parting of lovers mm-hmm. after the sexual act. I mean, that's a real moment of... of of despair and lust, you know. I think they're. I think they're. They're. They're really connected, right? And even the writing about sex or desire, Courtney and I were saying it's all about the tension, building the tension. But that's kind of like a parallel for what mm-hmm. actual desire is mm-hmm. like. And yeah. once it's satisfied, even if that person stays, you know, how do you end you've it? You've lost something. <laughs> you've know. lost the the yeah. chase. <laughs> yeah. It's over. I don't know. I, I know. It's, 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 I, I just think it's, I think it's a, it's sort of a vital part of human experience. Well, so, but then how do you, in translating that human experience to the page, how do you leave the reader satisfied and not unsatisfied the way that we so often are in life? Or do we want to leave them I, one way or the other? I mean, I think my experience reading poems about desire, I feel like I am, I'm, I'm satisfied by the tension, mm-hmm. you know, maybe because, because I connect with it, you know, because I've been in that state of, mm-hmm. of sort of unrequited love or sort of un, unfulfilled, you know, the state of being unfulfilled, I think is, is a human state. I don't know if it's our mm-hmm. job to sort of, to satisfy the reader in that way. I mm-hmm. think, I think we can be satisfied by reading about, Another person's despair. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> At least I'm I am. Like, yeah, totally. Don't I'm you love your reading face. really like That's messed up I'm sex poems? That's what writing's all about. It's like connecting. Well, could, yeah, it's like it's about a feeling. Thinking that someone else out there, like you know, feels what you feel. Yeah. But it's, speaking of the tension, how do we do it as a writer? Let's talk technique. Let's put our like. Uh, you know, teaching cap on. I notice in a lot of your poems, uh, you use these, like we were talking about early earlier. These mundane details are these unexpected details mm-hmm. next to the more conventional, sexy type details, such as like the popcorn ceiling, which is so mm. vivid. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what are, What are some techniques that you use to build that tension, like like the popcorn ceiling? Well, I feel like I love I love those sort of objects of domestic life. You know, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that those are just part of my palette. You know, the things that we sort of see every day. <laughs> and, you know, 
whether or not you're writing a poem that has desire or sex in it, those objects are going to populate it. Like those objects are going to populate a death poem, Mm -hmm. you know, or an elegy. Um, And I think that that's, for me, um, I edge up against melodrama. You know, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in like almost, like, (laughs) like almost being melodramatic Mm -hmm. because it's fun for me. I mean, my poems do have a lot of sadness, but I feel like the joy is sort of seeing how far I can go, like, into sentiment. Like, it's not sentimental, but it's almost sentimental, and then mm-hmm. I'll sort of cut away. And I think that juxtaposition is exciting for me as a writer. Mm-hmm. So I had a fun question for you. Yeah. Desire <laughs> is, like we were saying, it's in every aspect of life, like desiring a cup of good cup of coffee or, you know, lying down in a very comfy bed. Those are my biggest desires or in a life bath. right now. Um, yes, Rachel always bath. desires always baths. taking baths. <laughs> I know, that was your Valentine's Day. Yep. Bubble bath. Yeah, bubble <laughs> bath. Uh, that's my greatest joy in life, guys. Uh, what's your favorite example of a writer playing with desire in an unusual context? I have so many examples because I prepared. I was like thinking yeah. this, this is a good question. Um, like most of the poems that I love about desire are happening in an unusual context. I mean, I think that I think it's hard to write about desire without just straight up. Like it, it just ends up being sappy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the unusual part of the strange part of desire, or the sort of striking another note that's unexpected while you're talking about desire. I think that's what makes that's what that's what makes the poem surprising, and that's what makes it not melodramatic and Mm. so most of the poems in um this amazing collection that i'm sure you guys have read because i feel like everybody read it (laughs) and i've taught it so many times but um crush by richard syken i mean that book is about sexual obsession and every poem is sort of going back to to real desire and there's violence Mm -hmm. and there's um it's it's really complicated there's Glick, um, in her introduction to that book, talks about how this is a book about panic. Hmm. So, like, mixing panic with, like, desire. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about one of the first poems I read, you know, that, that sort of blew me away <laughs> as, as an undergrad. And it was, it was from Brenda Shaughnessy's first book. Um, and the, the book is called Interior with Sudden Joy, and the poem is called Panopticon. And that is like a, a really strange perspective perspective of of of, <laughs> of watching I mean, I don't know if she's actually done this, but watching her roommate from those um, world Trade Center mm-hmm. um, uh, binoculars, like this sort of surreal moment where she can actually see her roommate using her vibrator <laughs> and then and 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 meditating on that hmm. and then thinking about voyeurism and right, thinking right. about what it's like to be watched and watch is hmm. is reading about desire a form of voyeurism totally like, does that sound yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally yeah um, no i mean i think and voyeurism is an element in these poems about desire yeah absolutely um did you bring any poems with you i think we have time for one before we move yeah. on to our do you want to read game should i read my poem, a yeah. poem yeah. i mean okay so like i feel like the the purest um, <laughs> desire poem in my book that isn't um, sort of cloaked in in some kind of like um, 
a really sort of tense relationship with sex. And I think it, it, I would call it like the pure love poem in the book is the final poem. Hmm. And I think you have to sort of go through the whole experience of the book in order to like be able to, to experience like a, like a love poem that isn't um, like messed up in some way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to read, I'll read that poem. Um, okay. Postcard from Mizunte. Somehow Peter, Paul, and Mary are still singing. Hundreds of miles by car, not rail, with a brand new timing belt, a tent, luck. Though we found worms in the orange juice, and for eight days straight, we've been unable to eat. This is not a landscape I know. Loud, unidentifiable birds, the coast yielding to mountains, mangroves, our palapa peppered with hyacinth. Here, when he touches me, I feel the Pacific swell, everything swirling inside. There's no disembodiment. I am my hips moving above him, my chest caving in. That strange sound I make is mine. At Zipolite, we swim naked, unafraid of drowning, as far as the current will pull us. This away, this away, this far away from grief. So it's, that feels true, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and there are the moments, you know, in ta- especially in talking about those body parts that we do associate with lust or love or desire, the hips, the swell, that kind of thing in other contexts can be that overbearing line. But here, because you believe the speaker so much, it just fits the way they fit together somehow. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it is, I mean, it is, I feel like it's a very true poem. And it's like hard, it's like hard to read when my partner's around because he's like, oh my God, please don't read that poem. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. Well, we hope that you'll stay on for the next segment, which is going to be a fun little game involving dice. dice. Stay tuned. <laughs> Gather. Gather. <laughs> gather, please. Um, you can gather in. Gather round, gather round for the second half. And we're going to get started. We're going to get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio, broadcasting live at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. We turn now to our special segment we like to call the Dice Game. So we and have- no, it's not the sex dice game. <laughs> yeah, but basically it is. <laughs> but kind of it is. The writing version. <laughs> 
I'll never forget the first time. <laughs> oh, Lord, here gonna, we go. The first time, the first time I saw a pair of sex toys, I was like, I went into my brother. My brother's four years older than me. And I went in to feed his rabbit when he was gone. And they were like there. I was like, what the? And I'm like looking at them. And, you know, t- teenage boys, huh? Cute. Yo. Anyway. Um, <laughs> hey, all right. Uh, so we have, we have the dice. The numbers on each one correlate to a different pot- body part. Um, we roll them, and whichever number we get tells us which body part we have to write about. Oh, and even no. though we are writing about <laughs> body parts, <laughs> we don't have to write about sex. It can be any kind of desire. Okay. That's it. Let's roll. I need a pen. Let's roll. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to go first. I have number five, which are legs. Ooh. Lindsay? Number four, neck. Ooh, that's, that's a good one. Good parts. Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> On the side. <laughs> that's Number three, hands. hands. Ooh, that's another Ooh. good one. I'm jealous. All right, I'm going to go. So we got legs, neck, and hands. Yes. And while we write, you all will listen to a few. Do we uh, have any constraints? First, I just no, wanna, no, none at all. Unless form, Lindsay, form. you want to throw one in a constraint? No, no, it's, too, it's already too hard. It's, it's already we too have, hard. We have the timing. The we time are, we only have five okay. minutes to okay. make something beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you know this doesn't work for me. <laughs> all right, have okay. a listen to a few interloopers while we scribble away. Intimacy theory. In light of the river, the way it turns. First, a gathering of ice, then snow, building a false start of river's edge. Tell me what's empirical. Winter at my back, all season snow turns to rain in my hair. Tell me how many times today my body has worked against itself. Thinking of you is something like breath a slow release of time in my mouth. When there are no words, no idiom will do. Tie the knot, tie one on, cut ties, tongue tied. You are anything but an obstruction. You are everything, if not each moment before. Oh, transitivity, oh, verb, Waiting to be. The bedroom was bringing Matt down to size, as though his underwear, his tangled sheets, his bedside water glass were exposing his need for clothes, for sleep, for hydration. I was someone who knew how to make the first move, but preferred not to, hadn't had to in a long time. When I finally touched him, he was rigid. His arms didn't want to leave his sides. His mouth was like shapeless flesh when I kissed him. This was not the same mouth from last week. This was his behind-closed-doors mouth, his unsure-of-what-to-do once he finally captured his prey mouth. When I began to tackle his full Windsor, I was the one that was feeling predatory, and I noticed his shirt was damp with sweat. Take it off, I told him. Matt's body was what I expected, muscles chiseled as if etched by God himself. I took a step toward him, not so much turned on by him, but curious to know what it felt like to have perfection inside of me. 
and yet something about the perfection of his muscles belied the hesitation contained in them. I took off my clothes without ceremony, without nerves, anxious or otherwise. I had undergone this process countless times so that shame and embarrassment had been removed from the equation a long time ago. I could not say the same for Matt, who, con who consented to my removal of his pants only insofar as he did not protest. In his underwear, I could see that he was not hard. He stood in front of me, not moving, not looking at me. He seemed stuck, caught somewhere between a world he knew, a world that had been handed to him, and a set of variables he could not manipulate, a set of variables over which no amount of charm could give him control. He had no command over what was not happening inside of his Calvin Klein briefs. Thank you. The country. On the road somewhere between Tennessee and Louisiana, my friend recalls the draw of the city of plagues, termites in May, a deluge or two before September. Let's not forget the heat. Let's not forget Super Sunday uptown and who gets to stay and who is on the move. At the edge of the city, we agree, returning is meeting up with your first friend who holds your early secrets, who knows the nexus of your fears. Remember when I wanted to disappear, so at night I walked Elysian fields from the lake past the 10 to the Mississippi? Or as a child when I killed the garter snake with the old blue Ford in the driveway? Or when I was in love and the neighbors kept tempo all night on the shotgun's paper-thin wall? I'm not sorry. Or when I had my first cup of coffee and spent the day pacing the yard trying to listen to the grasshopper on my shoulder. Oh, home among the pines, home by the bayou's fringe. I come to you as I would my lover who puts up with my wandering, who turns her back to me not in anger or spite, but to show me what I've missed. Baby, I'm done. I promise when I come through, Please show out. All right. Just one little one uh, on ignorance. Oh, fear, fulcrum, desire is that plant we can't name. What can I say? I felt like rubbing my anthers all over your exposed legs. If I turn to you, I turn to kindling. Oh, furry trouble nigh behind me as I pace the woods. Oh, hearth in the clearing. Look at what I break into to look away. Thank you. That was Nicole Tong reading from her poetry collection entitled How to Prove a Theory. Jesse Adam Wong reading fiction. And Taylor Johnson reading poetry. And everyone's still writing. <laughs> Here's Courtney. Uh, How did that go? Ugh. Ugh. There's like, there's so much potential. <laughs> well, good. This should inspire you to go back and write more. Well, yeah, I told you guys, I have to write this thing for this wedding. And it's oh, like yeah. love and desire and all of and that. What, and what, which body part did you get? Hands, which is actually like. That's cute. Uh, can we hear what you got? Oh, Come I'm on. Embarrassed. No. Um, you can do it. Okay. I'll start with, well, this is coming, you know, so I'm, I'm going to teach bioanthropology after this, <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of where my mental state is. That's okay. great, I love it. Uh, 
We like to stress what separates us from the others, opposable thumbs to grasp, to manipulate, articulate one thing out of or with another. But really, it's the carrying that keeps us holding, turning, dirt, dice, a strand of hair, your hand. That's all I've got. I maybe, love how you maybe work dice can, in there. I know I had to. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe maybe I can play with the idea. I love it. Oh um I was I just looked at Lindsay, but then I realized I don't want to have to go after Lindsay. No. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Mine is ter- I'm terrible at free writing. No. No, I'm not I'm not kidding. All right. <laughs> I can read mine. I should be okay. I should what, be what was your body part again? Neck, right? Neck it should be easy. Oh yeah. But it wasn't. So tender. I mean I kept on or thinking horrific. but also tender <laughs> or horrific. I kept on thinking about um there's this amazing opening line to this is a really good desire poem called She by James McMichael. Oh, I know. Okay. And it's like her neck. Crazy to think um, she like your hand there sometimes or something. It like starts <laughs> like that and then it's nice. all about this. But it's also sexual ex- obsession. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, it's not like you don't get out of you don't like get out of that poem being like Yeah. <laughs> You're like Okay. So I don't know what I was doing. But none of us do. Is. And it starts with an idiom, pain in the neck. <laughs> there is no equivalent to that phrase in Spanish. Was I speaking in Spanish to my not boyfriend in a dorm bed in Valencia? We made out for hours and hours and kept getting each other sick. An, en- <laughs> an endless cough that I carried throughout that February that felt like summer. That's all I got. Yeah! So it totally evokes college. Like, Oh my god. <laughs> there I go again. Sick. My, my favorite topic. Just passing it back and forth. <laughs> oh, okay, I had legs. Yeah. Crossed, folded, bent, locked in a backward arc that will cut off the circulation, deprive the brain of oxygen, making images hazy, breathing shallow, eyes crossed, and the body collapse. The legs locked in such a way will fail, fail to hold the body upright, fail to bend with the passing wind, they will fail you. Mm. Hmm. I don't know. (laughs) I I started thinking about human beings, you know, are the upright animal kind of like, you know, we're like melding (laughs) science minds. So I feel like I could have gone a little deeper on that concept, but not in five minutes. <laughs> no, but I feel like for five minutes, your poems are complete, like more complete mm. than mine. I'm like, mine's just like a journal entry. About it. <laughs> no, that's because I'm chicken shit. And so I'm like, I'm just going to end this year. I'm going to I'm going to make this short. Just this so is that an I ending, don't right? have to really actually <laughs> think about it. Oh, man. Uh, that was so fun. Thank you so much, Lindsay, yeah, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. It's so good to see you. It's really good to see you guys. Well, that's our show. Join us every other Friday at noon right here on Full Service Radio or anytime on your favorite podcasting app. To find out more about us or submit to read, which you should do at our next event on March 24th, for example, visit us at theinnerlooplit.org. Today's episode was produced by our radio intern, Abby Newhouse. And our theme music is Andrew is by Andrew Logan. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks again to Lindsay Bernal for being on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. Just like the one Ryan Gosling left <laughs> us saying, I want all of you forever, every day. I don't know if I said that right. I mean, you were close, but like he's bearded and gruff in the notebook. I can't be just like, <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe so you never miss an episode happy, like this one. Happy writing. Right on, Lewitz. Thank <laughs> you.